day to all of you listening to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 240, and I'm your host, Matt Boswell, and uh, I'm actually in a little bit earlier today than normal. I, I record these on Wednesday. I came in extra early because I got a long, crazy day ahead of me with all kinds of stuff, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get up before the sun rises, pretty much, come into the office. By now, the sun is now kind of peeking over the top, getting a little bit of light into the room. Uh, but I wanted to get this one done in the can and out the door because then I got to go and do a bunch of chores at my house later this afternoon. Then I'm going to Seattle this evening. And then tomorrow, I've got all kinds of stuff. And just life is busy right now, right? So I'm like, okay, let's get in there, make this thing happen. And of all the things I wanted to talk about, this one was important to me. And this is one of those topics that is important for a lot of reasons. It's been important to me for a lot of years. And I find that there's certain circumstances in our world that kind of brings it back up to the surface. And I go, man, I want to talk about that more. And so just diving right into it today, the topic is kind of this difference between love and ethics or love and morality. And and I know that sounds weird. In fact, I think the way I'll do it in the podcast is do the greater sign, like greater, lesser. So love is greater than morals or ethics. I don't know which word I'll pick. By the time you're seeing this, you'll know which word I picked. But I know that's a little weird for some because I go, wait, love and morality are interconnected, right? Like why would you want to segregate those or say love is greater than morals or love is greater than ethics? Why would you want to go down that road? And And yet I think it's important sometimes to understand that what I'm not saying is there's love and get rid of ethics or there's love and get rid of values or morals. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to get at is how one should drive the other and how one should set the tone of the other because you can flip that way too easily. And that's one of the things over 30 years of being a Christian, as far as my adult life at least, uh, that I've seen. I've seen happen time and again. That there becomes this inversion that in the name of our morality, we say things v- with velocity that don't communicate love, but then we go, hey, I'm just loving you in truth, right? And and so the person, after having been punched in the face with a moral statement or with something that frankly sounds judgmental, we try to follow it up with, but that's just love, right? Like that's, it's like an abusive husband that hits his wife and he's like, well, if you didn't make me so crazy and if I didn't love you so much, I wouldn't hit you, you know? And you're like, no, that's just insane. And in the same way, I think sometimes we can go down roads in our in our fervor uh, to stand up for what's true and what is right and what is moral. And we do and say things that just don't sound loving and don't sound motivated by authentic love. They sound motivated by frustration. They sound motivated by pride. They sound motivated by animosity uh, or just difference of opinion. But it's not love. It's something else parading at the end with this statement of, I'm just saying it because I love you. Or I'm just saying, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't say hard things. Or we claim hard things because that's true love. And and yet for the recipient, they feel anything but loved, right? And and this has been on my mind a lot from a strange point of view, all right? So let's see if I can kind of capture the point of view. And, and I want to confess right up front, this may be a little clumsy as far as what I'm trying to capture because it's this great big idea right now that's floating about in in kind of the news and social media and things like that. And I'm trying to find a splinter of an idea inside this bigger ball of, of debate, right? And so probably a lot of you have been to some degree aware of this escalating friction 
uh, between the state of Florida and Disney, right? And and in the broader scope of things, then kind of the new, I don't know, kind of like culture war of uh, Disney's woke, Disney's pro LGBTQ, uh, and then in that things that are that have actually been said by Disney and then things that are being said about Disney that aren't quite what Disney said, but it just kind of escalates everything more. And so, you know, you've had the don't say gay bill. Well, actually, it was a bill related to just educating kids about sexuality and gender in kindergarten through third grade. Then it got dubbed the don't say gay bill. And then you get this escalation. And so, you know, Disney retaliates against Florida. Florida now retaliates against Disney. And they're like, okay, we're going to take away your special status as like a independent section of the state and so now you have politicians basically using laws to punish companies for their free speech rights and you're just like wow this is really just going all over the place and and people are passionate about this and one of the places i read a lot about the christian points of view on this are at christianpost.com right so it's kind of a one-stop christian news site and a lot of the things that are getting posted there is a lot of the anti-wokeness anti-disney stuff uh, Christian leaders that are really coming out like we got to stand against this filth and smut of Disney and all that kind of stuff. And and here's how I'm hearing this. All right. So just so the splinter I'm trying to get to. I'm hearing this as a man that loves Jesus that has a gay son. Right. So this this is a little bit my world is different than maybe others. You know, if you don't have a gay child or a transgender child or whatever else, you know, that your heart isn't in the topic in the same way, perhaps, right? So when I read these articles and I see these things, it reminds me of, or or maybe it notifies me of the fact that when my son hears Christians writing these things, saying these things, posting these things, he has this clear sense of, I'm not well liked by them, am I? Like anybody that tries to defend my kind, they rally against those who defend my kind. And so they really don't like my kind, much less love my kind, right? And and so then as a Christian parent who also has a gay kid, I'm heartbroken that the message that gets reinforced in this culture war about ethics and about morality is that there is just nothing that sounds very loving in the context of the dialogue, right? So, so you know, if Christians were saying, hey, you know, we, we, we love the gay community and, and we love those who hold different values and we want to go out of our way, even if we differ, to really let you know we love you and we're going to work hard to prove how much we care about you and love you and everything else, like that would be one thing. But the tone is definitely, you're, you're, you're a worse group of people. You're a, a more... Uh, corrupt or sinister group of people as far as like people that are like Disney sinister and corrupt. Disney is somehow um, kind of repulsive in this whole thing. And yes, it's awesome that Florida has kind of taken Disney to the woodshed or whatever else. And I, I go, there's an, a large population of, of our, our culture out there that look at that and go, wow, Christians, they just have a lot of venom when I want, they want to. Now I get that that may not be you. It may not be me. We go, no, I, I don't have that kind of you know, aggression about this, but we got to remember that we get wrapped into stereotypes, whether we want to or don't want to. And the only way we can undo stereotypes is that we're kind of going out of our way to undo stereotypes. And, 
And yet, even in this, I go, those stories from these news sites get a lot of traction and a lot of reposts on social media and that kind of thing. I, I, I think because, again, it's sort of like throwing red meat to the beast in some ways, right? So it's strange when I read so much of Christian news media where it has the same kind of sensationalistic bite to it as secular media. And even that just sort of grieves my heart because I feel we should navigate painful waters, challenging waters, waters of morality and ethics in a way that still should be dominated by grace, mercy, compassion, and love. Because when I look at the life and ministry of Jesus, I'm always again marked by the fact that that people that were dubbed sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes they wanted to hang with that dude. Like they were climbing over themselves to be with that guy. So clearly his headlines weren't aggressive, bitey, and venomous headlines in the way he did things. They were to religion. That's always the irony to me. Like he lambasted religion, but he was he was very welcoming to an entire population that were kind of cast aside by religion. And so when I've watched this escalation, instead of it being less about the politics of it, or the ethics of it, I, I've just kind of stepped back and thought, again, how does my gay son see Christians in this debate? And I can guarantee you it's very poorly. So then for me then as a parent, and I know millions of other parents who have gay kids that are trying to represent well their 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 Christian uh, heart and values and everything else, and also really love their kids in the space they're in and everything else. Like it just makes that way harder. Like honestly, as, as I've watched this and I know of some people that are like, that's right. DeSantis, get him. This is awesome. We got to stand up against this stuff and everything else. And I, 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 I can appreciate where some people maybe come from on that. Like I get some of those things, but I'm just like, you're just making my job so much harder as a parent right now, like incredibly hard as a parent, but then also making my job as a pastor incredibly hard. Because when I look at what God cares about, I I think what he cares about is ethics that come from a place of authentic love. And I think what God despises is ethics that are devoid of love. And that's where it gets a little challenging, right? So you can have ethics that are driven by superiority, that are driven by judgment, that are driven by pride or harshness. And those are the most destructive ethics on the planet. And the ethics may be impeccable, but they can be destructive. Because again, when you go back and you look at the religious leaders of Israel, they had some impeccable ethics. You look at some of the things that Paul was dealing with in the epistles. Uh, you know, like First Timothy is a good example, chapter four, when he was dealing with people that were saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, don't eat these certain foods. And they were going so far as to say, don't get married because marriage will lead to sex and sex is bad. So don't get married at all and don't have sex at all. Like, let's remove sex from the equation. We just need to be pious, celibate people. That's true godliness. Like, there was these ideas that were there that were like ethics on steroids, right? We need to make sure we don't even come close to sin lines. And Paul says, yeah, those are doctrines of demons. Those are demonically inspired ethics that sound very puristic. You go into Galatians, right? And they're like, we're keeping the Old Testament law to the letter. And Paul's like, yeah, you have been stripped of grace. You are, you are outside of the covenant of grace because you are so committed to the ethics 
of the law. So one of the things we have to be careful about when we kind of drive home these ideas of morals and values and ethics and everything else is to go, right, where they come from can be demonic just as much as they can be Christ-centered. And I think the difference between the two so often is going to be, does it come from a place of authentic love? I care deeply for you. I hurt for you. I love you so much. And so I want to be truly ethical in my own life, and I want something for you, but from a place of authentic affection, as opposed to self-righteousness, judgment, sick of wokeness, sick of LGBTQ, sick of whatever else. Let's let's get back to the way things used to be in the 50s when everything was just hidden, you know, like like whatever it is. And 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 this is the thing where I go, man, we got to make sure that we keep things in perspective because when you when you look at God's standard on love and morality, love has to be the dominant dominant factor in how we uphold our values and ethics just has to be the dominant factor. Otherwise it's corrosive and corrupting and destructive both to our own heart and to the lives of people. Because again, I've seen it too many times where we're, we'll wipe out a person and we'll say we're telling them the truth in love and love has nothing to do with it. And I'm not even sure at that point if truth has a whole lot to do with it. Um, and so the tone of pride, the tone of superiority can so often be in the place of that. And it just destroys our ability to then be everyday missionaries. Absolutely destroys it. Because I say this all the time on the podcast. Have you ever been won over by a person that was tearing you down to win you over? Like that doesn't happen. That made you feel dumb or ridiculous or stupid or immoral. Like if you're tired of being lectured by the woke crowd about how you're a racist or you're a homophobe or whatever you're else. In other words, you're not getting convinced because you feel like they're calling you names. Just flip that script. It's the same challenge, right? Nobody's going to be like, I really need Jesus if they feel like the Jesus followers are all just super critical. Now, again, I know there's many of us that are like, man, that's not my space. I'm not one of those super vocal, critical people. But again, like I said earlier, we get lumped in with super critical, vocal people. Or we get lumped in as Christian media says X, Y, and Z. We must be like that because we're Christian, right? So this is where we have to continue to work hard to change the narrative. And part of changing the narrative is just having a good theological understanding of the relationship between ethics and love and understanding that what God seeks of us is that love would motivate everything. Love would motivate us toward himself and love would motivate us toward others as we fulfill our obedient, moral, ethical obligations in the world. It has to spring from that place because that's what God cares about. In fact, let me give a, let me a different illustration to this as far as as it relates to what God is looking for from us toward him and then by extension from us toward the world around us that is made in his image and we are called to reach in love in his name, right? So let's take my kids, for example. Would I be a good parent if I parented to the letter of the law, I made sure they were fed, they were clothed, I made sure they were educated. I made sure they had their needs met and everything else. And when they asked me and they said, dad, do you do all of this because you love us? If my answer was no, I don't do this out of love. I do this out of obligation. I do this out of moral standard. I do this out of the values and ethics of what it means to be a parent. So I don't do it chiefly because I love you. I do it chiefly because it's the right thing to do. That's why I take care of you. Would anybody say, well, now you're up for parent of the year because you follow the letter of the law on taking care of your children. 
I think the answer is no. I'm not going to win any awards for that, right? Because what is needed for the health and psyche of a kid is that a parent is actually motivated by authentic love and then do these parental values because they love their kids so much, right? That's healthy parenting. It's the same with marriage. You know, if I'm like, I don't cheat on my wife, I I make sure that I, I, I care for her, I hug her, I kiss her, I try to provide for her, I protect her in any way possible. And she goes, you must really love me. And I go, no, I just made vows 32 years ago. I promised to do these things. It's not because I have affections for you. It's just, hey, I'm loyal to the values and ethics that I pledged. She would not feel loved for all the stuff I could do there. She is not going to feel authentically loved because I'm not doing it from an authentic place of love. I'm just doing it to be committed to the things that I pledged, right? That's the same kind of dilemma. And so in like fashion, what God doesn't call us to is simply to obey and to fight for certain morals, right? And to do those morals. That's not enough to him. No, he wants our hearts in this process. He wants love to be the motivator of those kinds of things. And this is true to the Old Testament and it's true to the New. So you go back into the Old Testament, you go into Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second law, right? So God articulated the law the first time in Exodus and then he rolls back around in Deuteronomy, re-articulates the second law. And in Deuteronomy 28, he sets up this blessing and cursing covenant model. And so he's like, hey, if you do these things, I'll bless you. If you do these things, I'll curse you. And in the cursing section, he says, and I'll curse you if you don't do these ethical things with a joy and gladness of heart. In other words, Israel could do all the ethical things, but it's not joy and gladness of heart and God would curse them for that. So it's not just enough that they're moral, but they have to be moral with a joy and gladness of heart. Otherwise, it's worthy of cursing. Or you jump to Isaiah chapter one. He's like, you do the feasts, you do the festivals, you do all these different things, you pray, you go to temple, blah, 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 blah. And I want to vomit you out, right? That's what he says in Isaiah one. Flash forward to the book of Revelation, right? Church of Ephesus. You guys got good deeds. You got good doctrine. You have no love. And I'm pulling my lampstand. I'm done with you unless you change. In all of those instances, what is present is ethics. What is absent is love. And because of that, it's as bad as though you had no ethics in play at all. And it's worthy of abandonment. It's worthy of cursing. It's worthy of him stripping away his presence in that context. That's how aggressively God wants us to understand that love is the great factor that drives our ethics. In fact, here's some examples of this kind of scattered throughout the New Testament. One of the things Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. We're like, that's right. He says, and do everything with love. Everything. How about this one? 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So he doesn't simply want us to keep his commands. 
He wants us to do so from a place of love. And part of this is loving other people, loving God's kids. That's the way we show we love God. In fact, in the previous chapter of 1 John chapter 4, he literally says, if you can't love the people you see, how can you even think you love the God you can't see? So love is the driver. Romans chapter 13, owe, no one to, uh, no, no, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. He says, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery or murder or steal or covet or any such things like this. And he goes, if you just really just stop and just love the person across from you, man, you're going to be in the right space because love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law, right? So this is why it's so dear and important to God. Like he wants us to understand that when we are moved by love from a place of love, we are then actually able to best fulfill our moral obligations. And what I continue to brush up against or see even blatantly at times in our culture wars and the things that get said, the things that get posted in social media is just, I look and I go, man, that may be true, but it does not sound loving at all. And therefore it doesn't matter that it's true because nobody can hear it because the noise, the echo chamber of the aggression just whitewashes out and blunts any sense of love. And I think God looks at that and goes, man, that's adventures in missing the point. Complete adventures and missing the point. Because again, let everything you do be with love. Galatians chapter five, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. What is is important, he says, is faith is expressing itself in love. That is what is important. Faith expressing itself in love. That's uh, verse six of Galatians five. And then loving your neighbor as yourself is verse 14. And he's talking about this in relationship to law keeping. He's like, you guys are all passionate about keeping the law, but you don't love. And so you're not really keeping the law because if you don't love, you can't keep the law. It's impossible. So if you're not doing morality from a place of love, you're really not doing morality. You're not defending ethics if it's not from a place of love. And I always want to come back to this, this idea of what is love, right? And you just, Paul's definitions in in 1 Corinthians 13 is so perfect, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast, does not envy, is not rude. Then just read stuff that is Christian- media or Christian news or Christian posts on some of these culture wars and just overlaid the article with with Paul's definition and go like, hey, is this article in the spirit of Paul's understanding of love? Because a person who feels loved, like they they know what feel, love feels like, right? Like like we know what love feels like. And we we also know what being told what to do or told where we're wrong without love feels like. We understand that too. Like none of us like lecture. None of us like being spoken down to, especially when then somebody tries to say at the end, I'm just saying it because I love you. You're like, no, you don't. You're saying it because you think you're better than me right now. Or you're saying it because you think you have some uh, angle on me that makes you more wholesome or more whole than me. And this is where we always want to go back to the cross and remember that the whole episode of the cross is that all of us are are lost and in need of rescue. And we don't get into heaven because we're good people, right? We get into heaven because Jesus is a good God that shows grace to us, even though we oftentimes fail. And that should keep us in the place not of pride or judgment, but of humility and dependence. And as we interact with our world and we want to bring 
positivity and good and godliness and true holiness to the world, which again, holiness is love displayed in mercy and justness, that's going to have a tone. That's going to have a heart behind it. And the heart and the tone behind it must be love. I don't think we can undervalue this. That in the end, when we stand before Jesus, his biggest question is going to be, did the world know how much I love the world by your actions? Did you show my love to the world through what you do? Because that really is the big idea in the end, right? Like, just think about our John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world, he gave. Not so that Jesus would condemn the world, but rather the world would be saved through him. It shows both the affection that he has, the level of personal sacrifice he's willing to endure for the sake of love, and the goal is, I want to rescue them all, right? And then he leaves us deposited into the world after we are rescued. Why? To do this whole list of verses that I've just read. To be a source of loving other people, loving God and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? Now, unless we're very self-destructive, the idea of loving ourselves should give us some sense of barometer on how we love others. The way that we feel loved by the people around us should be the way that we think about loving others. Because even Jesus says, hey, one day I'm going to judge you by the standard that you used. So if we were critical, if we were bitey, if we were judgmental, if we were harsh or whatever else, he's like, I'm going to use that to judge you. Like you, you're setting the tone of how this is going to happen in the end, right? But if we were compassionate and merciful, kind, gracious, prayerful, serving, he's like, man, I'm going to use that model with you as well, right? You see that in the Sermon on the Plain where he's like, just to the to the degree that you do it, I'm going to do it with you, right? That, that That's both sobering, but also really inspiring, right? Like, oh, wait. The, the, the more I, I err on the side of grace, the more grace is going to be used as the measuring rod in the end. I want to be in that place. And so from that, maybe even my challenge for all of us today is that as we are doing what we do and as we seek to live out the values of Christ in the world and we want to have a biblical ethic in the way we do things in life, drive all of that through how do I live my ethic in a way that the world around me knows I love them, Right? Even in places where we may differ or disagree or areas of concern, how can I say this, voice this, um, be a resource to this in a way that they know, you know what, I know you love me still, right? So you're you're not, again, trying to be aggressive or one-upsmanship. I, I know you love me in your position. And, and that's the thing we have to work toward because I really believe that's the only thing that's going to reach increasingly large sections of our population, right? There's a lot of wounds going around right now. There's a lot of divide going around. And there's a lot of both political sides sending out their champions to go and beat down the other side. You know, I think more than ever, I realized that the far left and the far right would both love a king right now. They would both love an authoritarian that would make our country the way they want it. They would welcome a king in their name, right? That's where the far ends are. But most of us live in this middle space and we need to bring the sanity And as Christians, we need to bring the sanity of saying, you know what, I'm going to let everything come through the grid of love. As I seek to be a godly Christian person in this world, it will be bathed in the tone of love, bathed in the temperament of love, and bathed in the goal of people feeling loved. Because that's how we really show we love God. We love the people made in his image. And I believe the more we're doing that and fighting for that and working for that and praying for that and self-disciplining ourselves to that end, 
the more we will be effective everyday missionaries.